Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Discipleship Podcast, where we record conversations around Christian discipleship issues meant to inspire your own faith conversation and help you on your walk as we all journey towards Jesus together. My name is Rob Schaff, and I'm the pastor of discipling at Sardis Fellowship Baptist Church in Chilliwack, BC, Canada. Today, I'm talking with our lead pastor, Rod Heppel of Sardis Fellowship, and we're talking about our expectations of God's maximal efforts in our lives. We recorded this conversation on February 15th, 2022. Rod Heppel, lead pastor of Sardis Fellowship, joining us on the Discipleship Podcast. It's a privilege to be an honored guest on your Discipleship Podcast, Rob Schaff. Discipling pastor at Sardis Fellowship. <laughs> one whole office over. <laughs> uh, a couple of weeks ago in one of your sermons, uh, you kind of fleshed out a little bit of problem that I thought would make an interesting conversation between the two of us and between anybody that's listening. And that was this. You said in your sermon, sometimes it's like we put in a minimal amount of time and energy into seeking God uh, while expecting a maximal response from God. And that is a problem. And I agree with you. That is a problem. Uh, do you see that as being a problem today in people's kind of faith journeys? How do you see that present? I, I think it's a problem on a number of fronts. First of all, I think we're well-intentioned in wanting to actually give our best to God, but it gets pushed out. Uh, you know, we are living in times where often both a husband and wife are having to go to work, so they're juggling schedules with kids if, you know, that's a family environment. Um, and the time factor is just hard to find when. When do I do this? Or how do I go, go about uh, giving God my best in a busy schedule? And, and so I think there's natural kind of things that push kind of our good intentions out to the sideline. So I don't get around to things like even the basics of reading my Bible and spending time in quiet prayer with God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well then here's a question. Rod, is it possible to honor God in a busy schedule? Yes, it is. And I believe that there's a way to bring God into our busy schedule where we're intentional about that. Uh, simply being mindful of his presence with me as I go through my day. And rather than looking at it as um, my quiet time reading my Bible, connecting with God, it's allowing God to guide me in my chaos of taking kids to school who are screaming about this, that, and the other thing in the back of the van. Uh, and realizing in that moment, I can actually uh, be Christ to my kids and that, too, is a part of this discipleship process. That, too, is um, seeking God first in my life that I might be the presence of Christ to my kids. And it doesn't necessarily look like my quiet time with the Lord. Yeah, that's interesting. So, like, this idea that um, sometimes in the chaos of life, we can see that as being what detracts from our time with God. But you're saying, actually, no, we need kind of like a perspective change where we say, in the chaos of that schedule, we need to see that as a time where we can enter into it with God, with us, and, and interesting. In our busy schedule, God is present there. Am I aware of God's presence there? And if I was aware of God's presence there, how might that change the way in which I live my daily life? That's thought one. Thought two is that there are things that we do need to sacrifice if we're actually going to be intentional about wanting to seek God at a deeper level. So if I'm wanting to do a study of God's word, it's going to require time and energy. What might I have to choose to forego in order to make that happen? Or if I'm going to commit to some kind of a midweek study of some type that I'm a part of, what would I have to sacrifice in order for that to happen? Well, on the one hand, I'm saying that, yeah, we can always bring God into our busy schedule. And, you know, the popcorn prayer, I'm driving to work and distracted by driving. But at the same time, I'm actually praying for things that God is bringing to my mind in my daily commute, right? Okay, 
That's the bringing God into the busyness of life type idea. But the second one is, huh, maybe I give up watching my favorite hockey game this week because I actually uh, want to go be a part of something that's going to be seeking God with more uh, of my... um, my whole heart type idea. A tension between living in a busy schedule, but also um, sacrificing something in your schedule so that you can pursue your relationship with God. Right. I think that that makes a lot of sense because that's how relationships work in general. If you want to have a good relationship with your kids or with your wife or with your friends, it usually means you need to sacrifice time in some other regard. I think your example of a relationship is a good way to assess like a a human relationship. So if we want to use just a, a husband to wife, a wife to husband, if we took that same mentality, we know that that's not right. We know that if I'm only putting in the bare minimum in my relationship, why would I expect it to be deepening and growing? If there's not the time for the conversation and the nurturing of that relationship, we know it's not going to deepen. And I think that that's a really good example then to understand our relationship with God so that it doesn't kind of degenerate down to the genie in the lamp type idea. I just rub this lamp, the genie pops out, I ask my wish, God shows up with great power and does miraculous things and you know takes care of all my financial needs and my relational problems and all that kind of stuff. So how do we not go there? I think it's actually framing it from an understanding that when we're talking about our time and energy in seeking God, we're, we're not talking about a mathematical equation. We're talking about a call to Christ, which is holistic. Being attached to Jesus is is like every aspect of who I am and what I have belongs to Christ and I'm in relationship with him. So when I'm talking about the amount of time and energy seeking God, I'm talking about how is it that I actually live with him first in my life so that he's making that difference in me that will be maximal. It will be his power showing up by the changes that he's making in me, which sometimes are a bit on the miraculous side, but quite frankly, sometimes it's incremental over time. Yeah, and of course, any any heart change is a, is a miracle. Um, yes, as well. <laughs> even the awareness of it, <laughs> you know, because we're so blinded yeah. to, to what we're lacking and, and even just to be aware of it. Now you're aware of it, now you can work on it. But if you've made the effort at one point in your life to wake up early and read your Bible, right? It's crazy how many times what you've read appears throughout the day, right? I wonder, too, if if that tension between carving out time and inviting God into your day, like you actually do need both of those things to be able to further your relationship with God. Thank you for saying it. I agree 100%. It's hard, though, because I think we do buy into this, this fallacy of, I would rather do the little like the bare minimum to get the most, because it's just so ingrained into us, this idea that it's like the only way to get ahead is to cut corners somewhere. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, when it comes to your relationship with God, getting ahead is such an interesting concept. Getting ahead of what and who, it's like, it's just about getting to know God better. Like for like, there's no winners or losers other than yourself. Do you know what I mean? Man stumbles upon a field, discovers that there's a treasure buried in the field and it's worth more than everything. And so this dude sells everything he has to buy the field just so that he can get that treasure because once he's discovered it, it's worth, it's worth everything. Which is an example of Jesus saying, if you're going to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me daily. Like it's that all or nothing type equation. The guy sold everything to get the greatest gift. And what I like about the words of Jesus there is this daily uh, aspect of me submitting my will to God's will. And, and I think when I'm talking about this maximal response from God, there are times where God shows up 
in amazing ways where I go, wow, that is incredible. And I'll just give an example. So one of our kids, let's say, is lacking a, a friendship in life that we think would be important for them. And we can see that they're longing for a friend and we prayed about it. And whoa, uh, they have this friend that comes into their life. And we look at that and we go, wow, we prayed about it and God answered it. And I know sometimes we might not see that as miraculous, but when it's in direct proportion to prayer, it's like, wow, God, thank you. You answered our prayer. But there's just as many times when we pray about something and the friend doesn't come into our, our kid's life, right? right? And then we go, well, what, what's with that? I mean, I'm, I'm committing my life to you. I'm seeking you. I'm praying for these things. I'm trying to trust in you. And I think where I'm going there with the maximal response from God is that he will continue to mold and shape me through both the times where we celebrate the yes answers and we suffer through the no answers. And and so there's something deeper that God is doing in my discipleship that it's the harder part to see in the moment, but it's actually still a part of it. Expecting things from God isn't always exactly... It doesn't work out the way that we expect. You had mentioned, I think, in the sermon where this question came out too, that sometimes prayer looks differently, right? When when God is answering it, it looks different than our expectations. Sometimes, you know, we get a yes and it's answered directly the prayer that we ask. Sometimes we get a no and we're left scratching our head, but we have God in it in, in with us in the middle of that. Um, and then sometimes it's wait, which maybe is the hardest answer of all. Is there anything wrong with reading our expectations on how we would like God to respond? I would say no, because... I think that he invites us to do so. I think of Hebrews. He invites us to come boldly to his throne of grace so that we might have our need met through his mercy and grace. And I don't know, though, how God chooses to work that out because I'm like every other person who has prayed in expectation and had the no or the wait answer and and wondered, Like, but why, God? It just seems to make so much sense that you would say yes to this. This seems to be good. This seems to be right. Why wouldn't you say yes? Now, of course, in the time continuum, maybe he will. Maybe it's the wait part. Maybe it's yes down the road. Or maybe it's just the no. And that was it. And we don't necessarily get a satisfactory answer this side of eternity as to why God wouldn't actually answer a prayer that I prayed in expectation, fully believing that he has the power to answer it and to do it. So we live in that tension. And I think for myself, ultimately what it comes down to is, well, can I trust God with that one? Jesus, I'm not sure where, says, with faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains, right? But I think sometimes sometimes then that gets flipped around from what Jesus was intending to say. And and people use that as sort of like a a spiritual hammer to say, if, if things aren't working out the way that you're praying for, then you just don't have enough faith. And I understand why people go there, by the way, you will find this kind of language in the New Testament where if your faith was only good enough, strong enough, big enough, then you would have been healed, right? Like that's a common um, line of theological thought that evidently you didn't get healed because your faith wasn't great enough. That's why your prayer wasn't answered. And that's harmful and it's wrong. And yet I understand that groups go to scripture and go, well, I see this in the New Testament where it says, well, you had faith, right? When I'm thinking about the maximal response from God, I need to broaden my understanding from the it's only maximal when God does the miraculous. And let me let me explain. As a young guy going into ministry, um, I was first a youth pastor for four years. And then my wife and I, when we were still quite young in our kind of mid to late 20s, uh, were engaged with a mission agency and ended up in Bolivia, South America. While we were down there, I had um, a lot of opportunity to preach the gospel to quite large groups, youth groups, and the response was often quite um, amazing. 
Well, one of the problems for young aged people in ministry is they can get proud about what they think they're doing or how God is choosing to use them. So it can have that picture of, yes, that's right. This is the maximal response of God because I've prayed and prepared and look at the response. Many a person in either ministry or missionary work like that have lost their marriage while trumping up, but look at how God is working. What if God's maximal response was to knock you down a peg so that you didn't lose your marriage, so that you didn't lose your kids? What would be more of a maximal response in God's eyes than having a dose of humility that allowed you to be a good spouse, that allowed you to be a good parent, and not sacrifice them while trumping up, but look at all the good that God is doing through me. The reason why I'm saying it like this is maybe God's no or wait answer to our expectation in prayer is actually a part of that trying to hone us and shape us into the image of Christ. That we don't see necessarily our own faults. And God's like, yeah, well, this no answer and this maybe answer or later answer or wait answer is actually going to shape you more into the image of Christ than if I give you a yes answer on this one. God is up to something in our lives. And sometimes that will mean no. And it will mean, you know, maybe or wait or not yet. Or, you know, we tend to want things now. We tend to want to be perfected now. We tend to think that we're perfect now, and God has a perspective that is bigger. And of course, um, if we believe that God is God, God will at times say, actually, what you desire isn't going to be what's best for you. And so, wow, that's really interesting. You know, I shared this last Sunday, my motorhome story. (laughs) Give us the recap. I'll give you a quick recap. You know, I bought the motorhome my wife and I praying that this would be a blessing of the Lord because we wanted to take our kids at that age when they're still between the age of like eight and 15, kind of on this family vacation where we travel down through the States and stuff. And the idea was that at the end of it, I could sell the motorhome and at least break even, but more the intention that we would actually make money on it. And it didn't turn out that way. We lost money. And afterwards, you know, I was a little bit sore with God about that. I prayed expecting. We had said we would honor you with this motorhome and everything like that, right? We even named it Ebenezer, which basically means, uh, you know, God's faithfulness, right? And uh, and it, it was a negative experience for me. The no answer from God about my prayer, about that this motorhome would actually either break even or make us money. The no answer was that he was shaping something in me that he needed me to understand that was a better life lesson. That it was a more of a maximal response from God to shape me through that no answer than to say, yeah, you bet. Rod, you're seeking me and you're praying and all this kind of stuff. I'm going to bless you with another gift here. You're going to make a lot on this. Like God saw something different, something I needed. A relationship with God takes work. Yes. When it comes to work, that's a touchy word in churches, right? People, because they immediately think of, you know... um, Show me your salvation by your faith, I'll show it to you by my works. That's right. And then Paul's saying, faith you know, works. it's by grace, not by works so that no one can boast. Mm-hmm. So just maybe, maybe it'd be good to hear from you quickly on how you think that this conversation weighs into salvation. What does this have to do with salvation? Does it have anything to do with salvation? We know that we are saved simply by God's grace. My works attribute nothing to that salvation. But nor is that the end of the story, that if it's truly a saving faith, it's going to result in a changed life. And I think that's the tension built in there. Okay, here, you want to know if there's if I have saving faith? Look at my life change. That's what I think James is saying. And I think for myself, the way I see it working through positive language and not negative language is that in the moment that I understand um, my salvation in Jesus Christ that comes through simply 
the mercy and grace of God, right? Not an ounce of my own goodness or anything on that side of the equation. Once I understand that, and it leads me into that lordship understanding of who Christ is in my life, he's my savior, he's my Lord, what I've found is that there's greater joy that comes from obeying Christ than there is from just going, well, thank you very much, Jesus, for that salvation piece. I'm going to go live my life for myself. Because when Rod Heppel lives his life for himself, it's never a good outcome. You know, like people, you know, when they always talk about your true identity and find your true self, I'm like, I don't really like my true identity and my true self. It needs to come under the submission to Jesus Christ in order to be anything that is worthwhile for either me or anyone else. And so when I look at the whole work side of that equation, I look at it through the lens of I want to obey Christ because greater joy comes from everything that I'm willing to submit to Christ my prayer life, the reading of God's word, listening to him talk to me about things that are weaknesses that need to be shaped and changed, my relational issues in my life, my finances. Like it touches every area of my life. But it's not that I'm working to prove that I'm a Christian at that point. It's I'm desiring to say yes to Jesus each and every day in every area of my life, total attachment to Christ, which then leads to greater joy in life. Rod, I got one more thing that I was kind of just on my mind as we were talking about this. And that is that sometimes um, your heart can be in the right place and you can have like, you know, you're pursuing God in the quiet moments, you're sacrificing time, you're inviting God into the big moments. And then you, you, um, you pray with great expectation and it hurts when it doesn't end up panning out the way that you want. And is, is that hurt a legitimate hurt? And what do we do with that? For sure. I, I think that, an error that is made often is downplaying that legitimate hurt, the disappointment factor, the loss, right? And that can happen for this perceived higher value of sounding victorious or spiritual and all that. And I, I don't think we see that in scripture. I, th- I think what we see in scripture is people honestly um, coming before God and just bearing their grief and their hurt and all of that. I think that more realistic approach actually leads to a more authentic faith. We use that word authentic a lot. Um, but a true faith, a, a real faith, the one that doesn't try to like just sugarcoat the nose and the weights that God give us, gives us or the losses and the griefs. I think he invites us to enter into that because that's part of the healing journey. It's part of the maturing process. It's a part of our ability then to identify with someone else. As 1 Corinthians says that in the same way that God has comforted you, so you can now comfort someone else in their grief. And so I don't think we we need to spiritualize those honest hurts and losses in life. I think we do need to embrace them. Yeah. Uh, ball our heads out. Go on your knees. Let God know. David lamented. In our in our hurts and in our frustrations, it isn't about directing them, you know, behind God's back. You know, it's about taking them directly to Excellent. God. That is what a relationship is. That is the work of pursuing. That is the time and energy that you need to put in seeking God, right? Is is going straight to God with those hurts, with those, um, with that pain, and and trusting Him with it. And even when you feel like God isn't listening to you, yeah, there's many laments in the Psalms. You know, God, where are you? And why haven't you done anything lately? And, yeah. and stuff like that. But the point is, the conversation is directed not directed to God, but it's it's engaging with God, right? It's not a one sided conversation. It's bringing that to God and expecting to hear from God. And and maybe it's just a calibration of what expecting means. Maybe it's not so much um, expecting God to do what we want, but rather it's expecting for God to give us an awareness of his presence. And 
that his maximal response will be shaping us to the image of Christ. And that's really hard for us to weigh this side of heaven. Yeah. But uh, when we actually follow God like the way you're describing there, I think one day we will see, oh, that's what God was doing. Mm. That's greater than what it would have been had I got the other answer that I thought I should have got. I feel like you should pray for us, all of us who are listening and and for me and you. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your grace in our lives. All of this is about your grace. We know it firsthand in our own lives because it's what you did in saying that we were forgiven, that we were cleansed, that we've been made right with you and adopted as your children and, children and placed into your family. But Lord, this journey of daily uh, taking up our cross and following you is very challenging, especially in a time where uh, life is busy, pressures are mounting, uh, challenges for raising kids, if that's our, our environment, are exceedingly difficult. And so I would pray that you grant us the ability to know how to walk with you faithfully during these times that we live, and that we would seek you with all our heart and find you faithful in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening in on our conversation. If you'd like to join the conversation, send your comments to our email addresses, either rod with a D at sardisfellowship.com or Rob with a B at sardisfellowship.com. Now, throughout the podcast this week, we referenced a few scripture passages that we never actually specified in our conversation, and I'd like to list them for you now. The first is Hebrews 4.16, which says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Matthew 13.44 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Matthew 17.20 is Jesus talking, and he says this, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. James 2, 14 and 18 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. In Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, Paul writes this, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Thanks again for listening, and we hope that this conversation has been edifying. Check out sardisfellowship.com for more information about our church. Thank you.